today's scripture reading is Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the needs of the poor and needy. An excellent wife who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for her clothes, bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen with purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellence, excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Grace DC Network. I'm Joel, I'm one of the pastors at Grace Mosaic and I greet you this morning joyfully in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Before I get started, I just want to uh, give thanks and publicly acknowledge our lead pastors, Pastor Glenn, Pastor Duke, Pastor Russ, who have labored for months since this pandemic began, uh, just preaching online to us in these digital gatherings. I'm just so grateful for their labor and for what God, by His Spirit, has done through them. And I offer this exhortation, you know, as my luxury as an assistant pastor, uh, an exhortation to cherish, to encourage, to honor those who work among you your lead pastors especially, to be mindful of them and caring for them as they care for all of us. And so that's just my brief pastoral exhortation before I get started this morning. I'm so glad to be with you. And this morning I find myself preaching on the subject uh, called Songs My Mother Taught Me. Songs My Mother Taught Me. 
2015, the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, right here in D.C., rep, uh, and the Smithsonian Folkways Project, they re-released a series of audio recordings. Those audio recordings were originally made in 1963. And those recordings are, are treasures of our collective history here uh, in, in America, and they should be treasured by everyone, but especially by those who number themselves in the Church of Jesus. Those recordings were recordings of uh, Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, who was born in 1917 in the state of Mississippi to parents who were sharecroppers. She was born in the Jim Crow South, born into a social structure that was dehumanizing, an economic structure that was debilitating, and a theological structure that was heretical. And she became a sharecropper herself before assuming the amazing and courageous role of a civil rights leader, community organizer, and public witness, driven by her Christian faith and her conviction and her knowledge of a God who was loving, and just. And that collection of recordings that was released in 2015, it was called Songs My Mother Taught Me. And that's because most of the things on this recording that you can look up are actually songs that Fannie Lou Hamer's mother taught her, or songs that Fannie Lou Hamer's mother's mother taught her. And they were songs that would often be sung, working and living life. And as, as people worked in these groups out in the field, she said her, her mother would start and begin to, quote, express herself, as she recounts, by singing these songs. Then the people around her would begin expressing themselves, and it would cause them to look down back to the grueling work they had to do and keep going. Because the songs recounted an, an, a conviction about a God who was working to set everything right in the world. In writing about this, the Smithsonian comments that Fannie Lou Hamer's, uh, she harnessed her mother's abilities and gifts of song and plain spoken wisdom to fortify her for the work that she had to do in the world, to fortify her for the work of justice, plain spoken wisdom that fortifies us for the work ahead of us. Songs like, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, keep your lamps trimmed and burning, the time is drawing nigh, so children don't get weary, don't get weary, the time is drawing nigh. Proverbs 31 might also be called a portion of scripture called Songs My Mother Taught Me. <laughs> For there is a mother who teaches oracles and proverbs in this chapter to her son. She is the mother of a king, a certain king called Lemuel, king of Massah. And we don't know about Lemuel, we don't know about his mother, and we don't know about the kingdom of Massah. But it seems that he and his mother were converts uh, to the faith of Israel and to their God. And what is recorded in Proverbs 31 are two sections of, of Proverbs or oracles, or I might say today songs, that Lemuel's mother taught him. The first Nine verses are, are a lecture, a, a reproof, a correction that she gives to her son about being a king and the way he's working in the world. And the second section, verses 10 through 31, are a standalone poem, an acrostic Hebrew poem. That means it goes from letter A to letter Z in the Hebrew alphabet at the beginning of each verse about a woman of strength or woman of valor. That's what we'll, uh, we'll explore today. A woman who is, is personified. Uh, in her wise work in the world. And if you know the book of Proverbs, uh, 
You'll know that this kind of thing is not anything new. A huge part of the literary structure and themes in the book of Proverbs is personifying one, uh, both wisdom and foolishness as women. Right in the first chapter of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom appears, and she speaks words that the hearer ought to listen to. If you go read Proverbs chapter 8 and 9, you'll see the direct contrast between Lady Wisdom and Lady Foolishness. It's a huge part of the book of Proverbs and the biblical story in general, which extols the wisdom and the courage of women, not their silence and subjugation. And so here in Proverbs 31, we have this collection from King Lemuel uh, that he passed on to us from his mother as she taught, to, taught them to him. The, the wisdom that's ad addressed to King Lemuel in this passage is addressed to us also, who find ourselves in the midst of a time where we need plain spoken wisdom to fortify us for the work ahead of us. Pastor Glenn asked me specifically this morning to preach on, on work during a pandemic, and I'm going to tailor my thoughts to that, to that subject. But we need this kind of plain spoken wisdom to fortify us for the work ahead of us. And as we look today at the songs that King Lemuel's mother taught him, I want to extract three themes from them. First, a song about working with compassionate justice, and then a song about working with diligent love. And lastly, a song about working with joyful hope. So first, a song about working with compassion and justice. In this section of scripture, King Lemuel's mother makes some things plain to the king, as mothers often do. I remember one time in my wandering, foolish, and uh, drunkish days of life, I returned home from college, and my mom one night said to me in a moment of, of tearful uh, exhortation, she said something like, you know, son, you're not living like the way I raised you to live. You know, when your mama says something like that to you, it gets to you, it cuts at your heart because you know your mama loves you. And King Lemuel's mama loves him. She, she calls out to him and she says, what are you doing, son of my womb, son of my vow? Meaning she vowed Lemuel to the Lord to live a life pleasing to the Lord, to serve the Lord. And she says to him, as translated here, what are you doing? But in the Hebrew, it means something just like, what or listen, son. Perhaps she's disappointed, it seems, with, with how Lemuel is, is living his life as a king and how's he, how he's ruling with his power because it seems that Lemuel was intoxicating himself in the midst of his great power and his great wealth. He's getting swept up in, in those age-old ways of wandering rulers at a fundamental level. The strength that he should be using to, to rule on behalf of the weak He's, he's spending his strength on women. And the mouth that he should be using to speak up for the rights of the poor and afflicted, he's using his mouth to drink liquor and be, become intoxicated. And the wine and the liquor itself are not the problem, but it's the intoxicating stupor of selfishness that it's creating in Lemuel. That's the problem. Why? Because those with power, Lemuel's mother teaches him, those with power must be accessible, uh, reactive and, and mindful of those who don't have the power. And if they're so drunk with their wealth and their women and their wine, they will forget. And what are they going to forget? They're going to forget the laws that have been written. They're going to forget the rights, the, the, the human rights of those who, who are afflicted. 
In Hebrew, it literally means they might change the verdict from a, a just verdict to an unjust verdict of those who, who deserve justice. Those who are afflicted, the scripture says. And that word afflicted basically means they're being swept away. They're being run over by the, the wheels of unjust structures, of horrible, tragic circumstances. That word afflicted is the same word that is used in the early chapters of Exodus when God sees the people of Israel and he says to Moses, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've, and I've heard the cry of their suffering. I know their sufferings, the Lord says. The problem is when you use your power to numb yourself from the suffering of the world, you have ceased to walk in the way of God. See, because God's justice is moved by compassion to deliver his people. And compassion is, is a deep biblical word used throughout the Old and New Testament that means to have your insides stirred up. It means to have your gut troubled and moved and propelled to action for the sake of those who are afflicted and who are perishing. It means to not make peace and to not content ourselves with the fact that people are being destroyed and run over in the world. One commentator says that in the imagery of Proverbs, we can either use our mouths for greedy consumption or we can use them for just and compassion and speaking in the halls of government or in the business office or in the street or in the home. And that's where we have King Lemuel over here, and then we're introduced to this contrasting image or picture of the woman of strength. And in the second part of the chapter, she comes in, and she's a picture of a different way to use power. Because she's a wealthy woman, kind of like King Lemuel. Uh, she's industrious, she's entrepreneurial, she's got money and power, but she's using her power differently. She uses her hands and her mouth differently than King Lemuel. Verse 20, she opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The picture of life, her life is one of open-handedness. It's not grasping, but it's releasing. It's not closing, but it's opening. And that can be an opening of giving away material goods or it can be an opening of come inside my house. I have what you need in here. This... Uh, Proverb, this song about compassion and justice, it teaches, first of all, it's a word for those who, who are in power and authority. The Eritrean commentator Tiwahol Medhin Haptu says this, These verses contradict the idea which is too prevalent in the world that leadership involves grabbing things for oneself. Rather, in view of Proverbs 31, the leader should be the epitome of compassion and justice. We as Christians should pray for and long for and call our leaders to be the model of what it means to be compassionate and justice. The leaders who love justice, who, who use their mouth to speak up for the afflicted. But also for us. Work during this next season of life together as the people of God. Work during a pandemic, says King Lemuel's mama, is to be done with compassionate justice, choosing not to intoxicate ourselves in comfort that we forget the suffering, the, the, the incredible suffering of what's going on in our communities right now. And it's hard not to do that in our society. It's hard not to comfort yourself because we have been formed to isolate ourselves from discomfort particularly the discomfort that is around us, because that kind of disrupt, discomfort will disrupt the rhythms of your life. 
it will inconvenience you and it will disrupt your comfortability. But in Proverbs and in the way of Jesus, the comfortable need to be discomforted by what's going on in the world. The, the, comfort, the comfortable need to be discomforted by their comfortability with the affliction in this pandemic world that we are living in. And, the, and we're supposed to be moved with the compassion of God to live open-handed. And that's not without his challenges, brothers and sisters, in this pandemic season, the, the physical distancing and, and the stretched-thin feeling of life. But you know what? The work of compassion and justice is never not without its challenges. Even before the pandemic, I know in my own heart I can make all sorts of reasons for not doing the work of justice when, when it is called upon me. I've been making excuses about not doing justice and, and doing mercy way before the time of the pandemic. And I don't know, maybe you know that's true in your own life. But the prophet Isaiah says in the 58th chapter, Pour yourself out for the hungry. Satisfy the desire of the afflicted. And yes, brothers and sisters, we feel stressed thin by the style of life right now. Many of us do. And the call from this text and the call that I'm bringing to you today, it might feel more like a burden than a blessing. But let me tell you something. God gives us the work of compassionate justice to bring us close into his heart of love. Because as we know love, as we do love, we know love. As we do justice, we know justice. And to know love and justice is to know the God who authored these things. It's to be brought close in to the heart of God. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You see that? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So use your mouth, open your hands, and don't let the world and its ways numb you and keep you from seeing the affliction and knowing the suffering around you, there will always be those who troll on the work of compassion and justice, who always have a critique for it. Don't let them discourage you. Don't be afraid of them. Speak up, use your hands, for, and sing a song about compassion and justice. But to do so means also singing a song about diligent love. And that's what I want to move to next, a song about diligent love. You see, this woman of strength in our text, she uh, is a picture of diligence. She's up early and she stays up late. She, quote, works with willing hands. She is, colloquially, I would say, she's on that grind. A lot of times I call Pastor Russ, who I work with, uh, and, and in the middle of the day I'll call him, I'll say, man, what you up to? And he'll say, man, you know, I'm just on that grind. And what he means is he was up early and he's going to be up late grinding with doing the work that God has given to him to do. She is like the ships of the mer merchant bringing in food from afar. She is providing food for her household and portion, portions for her maidens, which, which in modern day terminology is her employees or her household staff. And the impression that we get again from the text is that this woman is wealthy. She's accomplished. Her, clothes, her clothing is fine linen and purple. That means, she, you know, you got to have some money to buy purple dye in the ancient Near East. She, perce she perceives that her merchandise is profitable, and she considers a field, and she buys it herself with the fruit of her hands, meaning the money that she has made from her other business ventures and from her household ventures. She uh, buys a vineyard, and she begins a vineyard. You see the work that she's doing, but you, you see that work... It's making a profit, the grind that she's on, but it pours out of her in love, in diligent love for others. She's wealthy, 
But unlike King Lemuel, she's not using her wealth and her abundance to numb herself from the needs of others. No, out of her abundance, she's blessing others abundantly. She makes sure that her own children and her own husband are well taken care of, yes, but she's also making sure that those who work alongside of her, her employees, are taken care of as well. She's making sure that they, uh, the text says, she makes sure they're clothed in scarlet, meaning that the weather's going to get cold, and she wants to make sure they have what they need to stay warm, and that she's up before the sun even rises to make sure they have enough to eat. You see, often in our way, in our culture of upward mobility, it teaches you that your goal in life should be to get out of the grind of that kind of work, that work of provision, that lowly work. But what Proverbs 31 says is, no, a true leader is down in the trenches. A true leader is making sure that everyone has what they need and enough to eat. But not only that for her, her love spills out of her own household. It spills out of her own workplace and extends out into the street and into the village and into the city. Because again, she's living her life open-handed. Christians are to be open-handed people. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he also said, give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who asks you to borrow. The world is tight-fisted. It trains us to be tight-fisted. But the posture that Proverbs 31 teaches us is, is this posture. Living my life open-handed. Nothing is mine anyway. It is the Lord's. And the Lord wants me to bless others the way he has blessed me. These are fundamental, plain-spoken truths, but I'm reminding you of them. And I'm reminding myself of them because we need to hear them. Why? Why does she do this? What motivates her to live life like this? How does she become the kind of person that is that her children rise up and say she is blessed and her husband praises her, and not only that, her whole community sees her as a resource, sees her as a refuge. They want to be in her house. They want her cooking. <laughs> they want her food. They want her clothing. That her house is a warm place of welcome. Ultimately, it's, it's, at the end of the proverb, it says, she fears the Lord. Meaning, this woman does not content herself with a life that the Lord is not content with. You know what I'm saying? She wasn't content with unnecessary death and destruction and, and want and poverty. She does everything in her power and within her resources to plan her life in such a way to show wisdom and love. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She's not drunk on her power and privilege. Her mouth instead is flowing out of what's inside of her, which are not the intoxicants of this world, but the intoxicating law of the love of God. See that phrase, teaching of kindness, could also be translated the law of chesed, which means steadfast love. It's the kind of love uh, that, that the Lord has. It's the kind of covenant-keeping, everlasting to everlasting, loving enemies, loving those who are in desperate need. It's that kind of love and that kind of teaching of that kind of love that's on her tongue. And you see, that kind of love is diligent. It's verbal, meaning it's not some sort of static feeling that she feels for her neighbors. It's a commitment to nurture her neighbors, and her community. The kind of love that makes you change your calendar. The, ch the kind of love that makes you change the rhythms of your life. The kind of love that's written into the steps of your days, the deeds of your hands, and the words of your mouth. Work during a pandemic for us 
is going to mean, brothers and sisters, late nights and early mornings for many of us. It's going to mean it's going to mean grinding for glory. It's going to mean showing the grit and the diligence of love. And quote, as uh, verse 27 says, not eating the bread of idleness, but looking way to the uh, looking well to the ways of our households and our blocks and our streets and our building. It's going to mean taking the time uh, to make things for people, to serve people, to ensure that they can be protected from the elements. Yes, that means protecting and nurturing children if you got them. Yes, that means protecting and nurturing spouses if you got them. Yes, that means protecting housemates if you got them. And yes, it means protecting neighbors if you got them. It means blessing others before you try to be blessed by them. It means giving before receiving, which in Jesus' teaching is more blessed, meaning there's more joy to be found there because that's where the heart of God is. Because, because, again, doing love is finding love. And finding love is finding the God who is love. Pour yourself out for your household, brothers and sisters. Don't be bitter by what your household needs. This is a word uh, for everyone in the sound of my voice. A word for children. Children, if you're listening today, pour yourself out for those in your household and for those on your block, making sure they have what they need. Single friends, pour yourselves out for your roommates for your housemates, for your church community, married friends. Pour yourselves out for one another as spouses, husband and wife, but create a home together that can be a refuge for the many refugees of a loveless world. Protect your neighbors. We live in a world with, in my neighborhood, $800,000 houses and those who don't have the basic food to get through the day. Do you see that? 20 feet away in Washington, D.C., within a 20-foot distance, you can have a million-dollar house and someone who doesn't even have a, a bowl of cereal for the morning. This is not right. This is not just. This is not good. We have to foster, as Reverend Dr. Irwin Entz often says, we have to foster a divine discontent, a divine dissatisfaction with the unjust and the unequitable structures of our world that cause people's lives to fade away that cause people's lives and children's lives in our, in our city, many of whom go hungry every day, to be run over by the wheels of unbridled profit and unbridled luxury. Now, this woman makes a profit. Don't get me wrong. She runs businesses, it seems. The Bible is not opposed to making money, but the Bible uh, is opposed to letting money run your life. One of my mentors in life, Dr. Uh, Reverend Dr. Colonel Mike Higgins, taught me a phrase that I always take with me. He said, money is a powerful tool, but it is a horrible leader. Money's a powerful tool for doing love and justice in the world, but it's a horrible leader. When corruption comes up in our world, the phrase often comes up, follow the money. And that's right, because corruption and injustice and those who do it are often following the money. Wisdom, though, is following the law, the teaching of steadfast love and loving kindness. And that will change your ideas about money. So sing a song about diligent love. And what this woman shows us is that this kind of diligent love is, uh, is accompanied lastly by a song of working with joyful hope, a song of joyful hope. It says in the, in the proverb, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time that is to come. You see that phrase? 
out of so many of the phrases I meditated on this proverb on, that one's been sticky with me. She laughs at the time that is to come. How, how many of us wake up in these days of this pandemic, this, this never-ending kind of time warp season that seems to drag on? How many of us really laugh at the time that is to come? Or do we dread the day ahead? Do we dread the days ahead? Are your hearts bitter against God? And therefore bitter against those who are in need in your life? How do you laugh at the time that is to come? You clothe yourself in strength and dignity that comes from fearing the Lord and from abiding as in his ways as we've off, as we've always as we've already talked about. And it's knowing that in God's economy and in God's story, nothing that you do, brothers and sisters, for compassionate justice and for diligent love, nothing that you do is in vain. Now, the voice of cynicism and hopelessness and selfishness says, why, why are you going to do that? You know, the, your work will just get undone tomorrow. Why are you going to do that? The, the structures are too big working against you. But that is not how God sees things. God looks on the, the, the works of our hands and the, and the words of our mouth, and he is pleased with the doing of justice and love, no matter how small. And, and it's knowing that you're living and your work in the world is not in vain, and that God, brothers and sisters, will use every deed of love, every little act of mercy, to lay a new foundation for the new creation that is coming, to shed a little bit of darkness, a little bit of light, rather, in the world of darkness. Work with joyful hope. Work in the ways of the new creation. There's a prayer, an ancient prayer of Ephraim of Syria, who was an ancient Christian monk, and he said this. He said, you know, sunrise has come, Lord. It's time for my toil to begin. But in my heart, prepare a dwelling for the day that is coming, the everlasting day that will have no sunrise or sunset. As we begin our days, our works, as we begin our days ahead of us, our prayer should be for God to prepare in our hearts a dwelling for the day that will have no end and to work in the world with that kind of conviction, that kind of eternal hope. And that's where joy is found, brothers and sisters. But many of you, uh, you've, you're reading maybe this, you're hearing me talk about this woman of strength and you say, I could never live like that. I feel like I'm barely keeping my head above water. I don't have the kind of wisdom that's required to live this life. I don't, kind of, I don't have those kind of strength. And I understand those feelings. This woman of strength is part of this literary structure of Proverbs that is idealized wisdom, is beautiful wisdom. It, it's the kind of wisdom that makes us look at this woman's life and say, I want to live like that. That's how it's supposed to make Israel think, and that's how it's supposed to make us think. Say, I want to live like that, God. It puts you in the posture as a hearer of asking for God's help and for God's wisdom. And that's exactly where Proverbs wants you to be. That's exactly where God wants you to be. God loves those who ask for wisdom. And he says he will never say no to that kind of question. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask for it from God, who gives generously to all without reproach. God won't shame you for asking for wisdom. God won't shame you for asking for help. It will be given to you, says the book of James, and says the book of Proverbs. But you see, Lady Wisdom and this woman of strength, it drives us even deeper to seek out the embodiment of wisdom itself. Because, brothers and sisters, as I close, you see years later down the road, long before Fannie Lou sang her songs, 
or her mother taught her those songs, and long after King Lemuel's mama taught him uh, her songs, there was another mother who sang another song, a song that inevitably she passed down to her son. It was collected in Holy Scripture for us. It's a song of wisdom and of love and justice for us, a song that our mother teaches us, when, and it goes something like this, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he's looked on the humble estate of his servants. And behold, from now all generations will call me blessed. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, of his compassion. You see, this mother, her name was Mary, and she gave birth to a royal son. But unlike King Lemuel, but like the woman of excellence, of strength, he grew in wisdom. So says the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 52. This royal son, he did not get drunk off his power and ability, though it was divine power, divine ability. He aligned himself with the poor. He touched the afflicted, those were fading away. He opened his mouth and he spoke against the perversion of their rights. He, says the book of Luke, came to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty all those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He opened his hands and provided for the afflicted ones. He sang a song of compassion and justice. Oh, but don't you know he came and worked with diligent love, the kind of love that gets down on its hands and, and knees and washes feet. He was on that grind, working in the way of love from early morning to late at night. He said, as my vacation Bible school friends will remember, you know this, kids, this is my commandment, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, Jesus sang a song of diligent love. He came and worked with a joyful hope, confident in the fact that God, his Father, is the one who holds the scales of justice and time. He writes the story of time, and he will reward those who work in the ways of the kingdom of light, and he will condemn and judge those who work for the self-gratifying ways of the evil of the kingdom of darkness. And you see, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, that he took on our justice upon his body, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. See, he sang, Jesus did, a song of joyful hope. And in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he became to us wisdom from God. Christ Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Oh, the story that the scripture tells is such a beautiful one because if I go back, if you'll go back with me to Proverbs chapter eight, when Lady Wisdom sings her song, this is what she says. She says, when God made the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, I was there beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, says Lady Wisdom, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Wisdom was there at the foundation of the earth. Another way we could say it was the word was with God and the word was God. You want to know Jesus? 
You want to know wisdom. You want to know wisdom. You want to know Jesus. You want to know how to live wisely in these days of this pandemic and constant uprisings over injustice and the problems of white supremacy and poverty and inequality and brutalization and callous spirits and broken systems. You want to know how to live in the ways of wisdom, then you want to know how to live in the ways of Jesus. Ask for the presence of Jesus to walk with you. Commit your ways to the Lord Jesus as he committed his ways to you. Fear the Lord and don't fear what other people can do to you or say to you, but walk with the Lord on this path of wisdom, of justice. But also, brothers and sisters, I want to say, look to those whose faith has been formed in the pressure cooker of communal trouble, of grinding poverty, of racial injustice. Look to the mothers of the faith and the songs that they sing, like Mama Fannie Lou Hamer, whose faith was formed in this trial, whose faith was formed in poverty and unfairness of a kind that we can't even fathom. Follow this kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that was formed in her as she followed Jesus in these ways. We need these examples, but we need the example above all others, our Lord Jesus. And as you go walk with him, may your hands be open and may your mouth be open on behalf of those who need your hands and need your mouth. And may you sing a song about compassion and justice. May you sing a song about diligent love and may you sing a song about joyful hope. All in the grace and in the everlasting love of Jesus.